Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Make our bodies look one like a giant boner, baby, and swole. Everybody's basking in Washington City. It's the Swole Patrol podcast. Swole Patrol, calling all members of the Swole Patrol. With me, Mike Hathaway, and Dr. Drew Pinsky. No sugar, no grains. Woo! Welcome to the Swole Patrol once right. again, the greatest health and fitness <laughs> podcast on the planet. Oh, talking about more than just sets and reps and counting calories. We're talking about the entire lifestyle that goes into truly taking care of yourself. I'm Michael D. Cathward. Dr. Shupinski, board-certified physician, joins me. Thank you, guys. And we are very happy to be joined by our actual legitimate friend, the man behind the Fitness Confidential podcast, Vinny Tordurik. That's what I'm talking I'm, about. Yeah, I'm clapping for me, too. Yeah. I, I, Mike, that brings up my first question. You're, you're yeah. opening, and Drew, you might have to answer I'm this. Listening. But uh why is the male genitalia so ripped? You know, even the, the, the fattest guys in the world. It's true. You know, well, there's no. There's well, you look at the hedgehog. Even when he's got the gut, he's got the vein. I another mean, question, Drew. You see the how, striations in that cock. Why is the cock so different than any other part of the body? In that, when it's soft, it's jello, but then it can turn into your elbow bone. I mean, right. it, there's no other so, body part like that. No, it's designed to do that. Okay. And, and, well, we know that part. Yeah, but it's has it, it's not a muscle. <laughs> okay. So, so and it's not a really soft tissue. It's sort of its own system, and there's no place for fat deposition in it, really. Uh, and it's an issue. It's just a, it's just an organ that has a inflow outflow f- fact phenomena attached to it, right? So the veins, sometimes it has to take a lot out of there, right? The vein, right. That's why all the superficial veins are there, and there's bigger veins going down the, the dorsal. There's a dorsal vein there you can't even see sometimes. Yeah, I like a veiny dong. All right, so, so <laughs> what, 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 who, whose podcast is this? What's going on here? So, <laughs> so, so, so here's the, this is what people get all whacked out about, is that they, they somehow – I've noticed there's a lot of energy going around lately about – the PDE5 inhibitors, the Viagra's and the Cialis. Yeah, yeah. right. and, and what happens is you have little coiled arterioles in the penis, right? They're coiled up. This is a specialized system. Yeah. And they're tight and coiled. And when there is a proper nerve stimulation, and those nerves go along the base of the prostate, which is why when you get your prostate out, that's a significant thing. Those nerves have to keep working. When your brain says it's time to go, these nerves stimulate and they release nitric oxide at those little arterioles, little coiled arteries. And when the nitric oxide locally, not in your brain, not anywhere else, locally at those arterioles gets expressed, they uncoil. 
And that dramatically changes the inflow to outflow dynamic, fluid dynamics. So it starts a huge inflow and it fills up these two cavernous bodies, which is your elbow you're talking about. <laughs> and, and then when it settles down, it, they coil back up again and those veins have to take it all back out again. Gotcha. And now when you had clinical boner, yes. yeah, there's that. Clinical boner. <laughs> whoa, clinical whoa. Boner. Hang on, Drew. This is true. So. What? How did you get a clinical boner? Because I overdosed on narcotics, and one they gave me something to calm me down. I don't know if it's Valium or what. I, this is so um, hazy to me, but I was in the hospital in New Jersey, and they gave me something to, to calm my nerves. One of the side effects in a small amount of patients with this drug is a, like an uncontrollable erection. I was one of those people, and it was concerning. I mean, I, it sounds fun. For how long? It was, was like an hour and a half. Well, it could have gone a lot longer. It could have gone a lot you longer. Get priap- yeah. It's priapism, and priapism can create an emergency where you'll never get an erection again. <laughs> have, yeah, you can have really serious trouble. I they, thought it was bad that you don't shoot loads. Can you imagine no boner? That's bad. Then you got troubles. But but you can still they can inject stuff into the penis to reverse the whole thing. <gasps> so how does that work when you? When I want you, that. When you can't shoot a load. I, I'm, I hate to keep going all over the place here. No, no, Do, no. Can you still have an orgasm? Everything is exactly the same. Blanks, exactly or? the same. Just no mess. Let okay. me let me just how clear do I something get that? up. Let me clear right. something up, Vinny. Uh, the more we talk about dicks and jizz. The happier I am, so please don't feel like you're doing anything wrong. Oh, I don't. Okay. <laughs> now, Drew, Drew, you and v, Drew both. I guess it's an, an age thing because you guys are pumped on the idea of having a self cleaning oven. I yeah. I love loads. I want. The, I if I had a fire hose, that would be my preferred way of getting things. Why out don't of there. we ask the ladies here what they would prefer? That's really what well, matters. Kate Shanahan is on the line. Oh, great! Line. You bring another doctor on. We're already talking about. <laughs> Loads. <laughs> oh, Kate, I'm sorry for this conversation. <laughs> but let's we can bring get Kate back to it. Give all Kate Chan hands. Let, 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 thank you for getting us off this topic. So give, introduce give, the guest. Yes, all right. Give all the particulars. Well, I, I barely had a chance to scratch the surface with poor Vinny, but uh, I'm very, very excited to be joined by another board-certified physician. Uh, she is known for, at least to me, she's known for her book, Deep Nutrition, which really, really, really impacted me. In a great way. I, I'm a big fan. She is Dr. Kate Shanahan joining us. Hey, Kate. Hello, Kate. Welcome. Hi. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you. So the, the, one of the reasons, one of the many reasons uh, we're all fans of Kate is, and the, the, for me, the first thing that got my attention was when I first met Kate, she's a biochemist. Yeah. She's a real biologist, yeah. a full, real deal. And I've always been very frustrated with all the claims that are out there by people that have no training in biology, which is you need that to be able to, particularly dietary claims. And, and, I, and I asked her what interested her to focus on the area she was focused on. And she said, essentially, like, it, things are way, way too complicated to say anything meaningful. This is an area where I could say something specific and meaningful. Nice. Would that summarize it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> Vinny, uh, Vinny Tortorich, who also joins us, has a, a, an ethos behind eating that is no sugar, no grains. And I know that uh, that doesn't exactly encapsulate the, the four pillars that you, you harp on so much, Dr. Shanahan. But there's a lot of similarities there, and I wonder if you'd like to comment on – if well, there is any grains, first let's get the four pillars out. Yeah, what are in fact? Yes, I, I hate to speak like such a geek, but what are the four pillars of eating? <laughs> for human sure. Health? Yeah, so they are what they are the food groups that are actually common to all traditional uh, cultures. So whether we're talking about Japanese or French or wherever, 
And uh, they are very simply fresh food, like food that hasn't been cooked. You know, salads is a familiar example, but it also includes um, uncooked or unpasteurized, basically dairy products and animal products too, like sushi is a a great example. Um, Fermented and sprouted food, which are the way that folks used to preserve their extra whatever they got extra, a lot of all at once before we had refrigeration and canning, they used to ferment the foods. And they also, before we had a lot of access to, you know, before we had gas stoves, they had to work with nature to get the nutrition out of seeds like wheat, right? So they, instead of like we, now we have flour mills and we bake it forever. But what people used to do was simply just germinate the seeds a little bit and that would soften them up. And then they would use that as like a forming the foundation to make dough or beer bread, uh, beer bread being the Egyptian um, ancient recipe. Um, and then the third is uh, meat on the bone. So we're talking about like just saving uh, the bones after you have a Thanksgiving dinner and always making sure that when you get chicken, you get it with the skin on because you get special nutrients when you do that um, out of the collagen connective tissues. And then the last one is nobody's favorite. It's organ meats. Mm. And these are, these are now like considered exotica or cat food, depending on <laughs> whether you're a chef or a pet owner. Um, and, um, and they are actually like nutritional powerhouses because when we just eat the muscle meat, we're not getting that full spectrum of nutrients that is present in an animal's body. I, I, I am one of the weird people, and I, I honestly do think that it comes from having my mom's side of the family be the day in and day out, you know, food preparing, and that being you know from a Mexican he, he family, makes Mexican, yeah, yeah, being from a Mexican family, I, I do think that I just was eating brains and liver yeah. and tongue um, from a young age, and I know there's a lot of cultures uh, that are like uh, Hispanic cultures as well that eat every part of the animal. But I'm one of the rare people that really likes organ meats and, and, and you know different parts of the body. But for Including those placenta. people, and I have eaten placenta, human placenta. No. Have you really? I have. Yes. Why? <laughs> let me Was tell you why. Nothing else available. Well, let me tell you why. Because as we talked about before we got started, Vinny, my wife's a legitimate hippie. Like a re- oh, she puts her I money where her mouth that. is. Yeah. So she was, of course, prepared to save her placenta so that she can make some tincture or some weird hippie juice that she was going to uh, administer to herself to make herself healthy. Blah blah blah. I said, "This is my only chance to commit cannibalism and not have people throw me in jail. I got to take her up on this." And I char- carved a, a, like a. Two inch by two inch chunk of placenta. I cooked it up a little onions and mushrooms, and so like liver, you made placenta. I made placenta, yes, and it was wow, not that bad, huh? It wasn't great. You got any extra? I do have the tincture. You want some tincture? Maybe a taste. Two inch <laughs> by two inch. See what happens. For people who aren't, go- they're just not going to eat organ meats. Yeah, that's my question. What's my can question? You, can be- you supplement with like desiccated liver tablets or, 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 or-, or that? And or is there a preferred organ if you're going to? Get you know if you're gonna grit down and just eat an organ because even though you don't like it, what would be the one? Or are there ways to do it like desiccated tablets? Yeah, so they're actually there. The starter organ is liver um, because there are ways that you can cook it that actually are are good. And um, <laughs> I have a recipe in the back of a book, Deep Nutrition, called Sandra Sandra's Miracle Liver Recipe because it's truly a miracle. It's very easy to make and it's actually good. Like I, I don't really like liver myself but i love this recipe and it's even better the next day like the secret is soy sauce really it's a uh like a filipino staple and she was filipino so uh, it takes like five minutes to make and it's yummy it, but it, if you don't if, 
it's funny the the, the organs though that I'm uh, that seem like organs. Uh, liver doesn't seem like organ to me. It seems like such a close relative to because I don't know for some reason it goes with other. With you want to go like heart? Yeah. Well, heart, pancreas, and brain are the things that immediately occur to me as like things I would not normally eat. But which one of those? I bet I'm just guessing pancreas would be the one. <laughs> pancreas has got to be the hardest to eat because you know it's just so like falls apart, right? It's yeah. like it's got to taste horrible too with the yeah. enzymes and stuff in there. I've not tried all these things, but. Uh, I, I would love to have the opportunity someday, so maybe I should come to your house. Um, we'll cook a pancreatic and <laughs> cardiac and brain meal. Let's do it. Let's Mike, Mike's into it. Mike's wants to do an episode. All right, yeah, let's do yeah. it. I'm so okay. busy that day. Bring Great. your hippie wife. I'm she, so busy that Count me in. Bring your hippie wife. She brings a placenta. Uh, so, but is there is there some supplementation uh, with – I know that not only above and beyond desiccated liver, which has been around in the supplement market for, for years – they're now doing a lot of like glandular stuff. They're doing you see the the pills that are that are heart and pancreas and and you know it's all been this there fun a long stuff. time. That's always been out there. I'm, yeah, I pituitary gland stuff was out there in the seventies, early seventies. Remember 70s, that? Along with the desiccated liver. Yeah, is, Big it, is that sufficient if you're just flat out not going to eat the organ meats? Well, there's two things that uh, that these are used for. One is their enzyme properties, right? So you're, uh, and I guess enzyme and hormone properties, like their functional properties. So the digestive enzymes have some potential to actually work and function in your digestive system, but not a lot of potential because they are enzymes and they are digestive enzymes and their very nature is to digest things. And so that they end up digesting themselves very often before you ever get to eat them. Um, and then like the glandular uh, hormone containing supplements have very little chance of doing very much because your digestive system breaks them down, their hormones and they get digested and you know, so very little of that would actually pass through directly into your bloodstream. And then even if it did, it's an animal's hormone and it probably doesn't have a particularly uh, strong affinity for our hormone receptors. So, you know, I'm not sure. But what I do use, I do use the dehydrated liver pills quite often. And I found that they have actually been amazing and their ability to correct minor um, blood abnormalities that even um, like iron pills and B vitamins don't seem to be able to correct. And I'm talking about like slightly low white blood cell counts, which is something I see a lot in extreme athletes uh, for whatever reason. And in fact, I had it myself. My dad has, uh, you know, he's more of an extreme athlete than I am these days, but uh, just slightly low white blood cell counts, which has always just been attributed to stress, but I can reverse it just by telling people to have these dehydrated liver pills, as well as slight um, abnormalities of the size of the white blood cells, which was something I used to just blow off and say, okay, well, maybe you're just that way. Maybe your your white blood cell, or your red blood cells, I'm sorry, are just a little bit too big. And, and maybe that's just you. But at, over the years, I would be tracking those slightly too big uh, red blood cells in people, and they would get bigger and bigger and bigger. And there's a small portion of those people with those mild abnormalities that ultimately do develop like like leukemias or uh, um, diseases of the bone marrow, basically. So I feel like these um, paying attention to those small abnormalities and addressing them with these dehydrated liver pills is is really a great uh, thing that other doctors can do. And lots of folks should know that you should pay attention to these little minor abnormalities in your 
very commonly done. This is like done with every every physical that you get your your white blood cells, your red blood cells, and your platelets evaluated. Can I can I drill in on that red cell thing a little bit? Because macrocytosis, what you're talking about, that, that's a pretty common finding. And in my world, it's usually medication related stuff where, you, where you, I'm seeing it. Um, and I'm wondering, is that a? Are you, and when you say leukemia, you're talking about myelodysplasia. Are you talking about what, what kind of leukemias are associated with macrocytosis later? Well, what I've um, seen is more just like the aplastic. Um, yeah, I see. I see dysplasia. That's that's what I see. Yeah, that, that kind of thing. Okay. yeah. Where where you yeah. get lower and lower blood cell counts, yeah. or yeah. you get the polycythemias. Right. Okay. So uh, I see that too. And, and to me, that's myeloproliferative myelodysplasia. That's sort yeah. of in that zone. Yeah. That I, I I agree that. But my question is, what's what's fascinating to me is is that a marker for people that are going to develop that, or is that somehow related to the development of the process? Which is kind of a question that's not really in the literature out there that I've seen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, my thinking is now that I've seen it reverse, not every single person, but the vast majority, um, they'll reverse. It's like, I'm just going to take that opportunity to, yeah. you know, maybe prevent well, something. I mean, why not? Why not? You know, there's no downside, <laughs> that's for sure. I, I have another thing. Uh, can, I, can I interrupt for a second? Please, I insist. Okay, okay. The other thing is that uh, I'm having <laughs> a sort of out. a uh, – yeah. ner- I'm nerding out. I'm yeah. absolutely nerding out about something – and I and I don't know if this is even going to form into a question, Good. so much as an observation. But you you opened with a discussion of ancient practices uh, and how they have been lost, and the price of us losing those ancient practices, dietary practices, right? And it, and it occurred to me. I thought, wow, that has to be true because there there aren't the same stakes to nutrition now that there was then. We, we had we had to optimize what we did because the stakes were survival. Now the stakes are a little different. It's more like... Well, that's the burden and the benefit of modern medicine. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Big, right. Modern medicine has become so amazing. It's not you just can eat like medicine. a fat pile of shit and you can <laughs> It's not safe. just modern medicine. It really is modern um, food services, you know, food, food mm. you know, <laughs> commodities, uh, you know, that, that we, we now can have adequate calories and, you know, sort of adequate nutrition. There's no stakes anymore, uh, even though we might not see the stakes. They might be there. We just don't see them for 20 or 30 years. Mm. Does that make sense? Is that my saying that right? Absolutely. Yeah. And one of the things that um, yeah. I found when I was looking into these, like what's happened with, with traditions was um, there was a passage I was reading from a, a social worker study in Africa back in the 70s where they had just started to bring in healthcare clinics. And um, the social workers were actually surprised that they were getting resistance from some of the old ladies, like the, the grannies, because the grannies were saying, you know, our ways of doing things are being lost or like not respected because now when children, when moms have sick babies, they just bring them to, you know, the clinic and they get some antibiotics and they, you know, they, it seems like it's taken care of, but the, the grannies kind of knew that there was something, you know, maybe just superficial about these kinds of solutions, that there was something fundamentally important about the traditions and, and, you know, it's sad, but th- there wasn't anything they could do other than just, be uh, crotchety old ladies. I'm going to be soon. <laughs> Vinny and, and Dr. Shanahan, I think both of you have probably had to deal with this, Vinny more so from the training aspect than you as, a, uh, as your work in it as a nutritionist. When someone's genetically gifted or a high-level athlete, 
is it harder to tell he or she what to do because they kind of can get away with a lack of effort and or, discipline? Or, or more importantly, they have always gotten away with it. Right. Like yeah. it's, it's, it's easy to tell yeah. me. I, I, I have always struggled with, with not yeah. being a fat pile of shit, and I'm genetically not very – you know, I don't have a lot of advantages. So it was very easy for me to adopt yep. a more disciplined way of eating and training. Yep. If I'm Kobe Bryant – I would have a hard time letting anybody tell me what to do because I could probably eat Kentucky Fried Chicken every day and still dunk on people. Well, that, you know, and Kate and I, the, I think Kate, uh, the first time she, Kate, was I the first podcast you were ever on or did you do one before? Uh, you were my first, Vinny. I'm going to yeah, tell you that. You see, look at that. <laughs> Vinny also broke my butt hymen, so exactly. he was my Wait, first what? as well. Yeah, yeah. we're going to talk about that. Um <laughs> You know, when Kate came on early on, we talked about that on, on my show, uh, Fitness Confidential, because, you know, she was working with these athletes and I played college football and it, it was amazing because I was, I'm like you, I had to work at it. Right. I had to be in the gym all the time. I had to watch everything I ate. I had to go to bed at night. Most of these guys were doing everything from drugs and smoking pot and literally some of these guys, because when we were in college, we were so broke. Some of these guys couldn't even afford chicken at, at Popeye's Fried Chicken, but they had figured out that they could go and they would scoop out all the extra fried stuff from the thing, and they would hand them bags of that. They would just eat that stuff, right? And these guys would still go out and run four three forties, right? And still, you know, lift three hundred pounds, never walk into the gym the day before they they throw up three four hundred pounds, no problem. So, yeah, they could get away with murder, but it doesn't mean, and Kate can speak to this, it doesn't mean that their insides are getting away with murder. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that's what we found when uh, we started working with uh, some of these elite athletes and then looking at their blood tests that, um, you know, their diet was much more predictive of what their blood levels would look like than their perfect physiques. And eventually the blood results pretty much always have some measurable consequence and you know and it's not necessarily going to be um a gradual creep like you might expect it might be all of a sudden something happens that seems to be the the way actually that it is like there's some kind of stress that happens and it just throws you completely out of balance and and then now, instead of like having really any warning period, now you've got a real problem. And so um, th- that's what that's like, the, it seems to be the way biology works. I don't know if you feel that way too, uh, Dr. Drew, but like, it seems like there, you don't really necessarily see like these gradual slides into problem. People feel like they're fine. And then all of a sudden there's a stress. And next thing you know, they've had a heart attack or now suddenly they have cancer or some autoimmune disease and it's a probably some mathematician would have be able to explain that has to do with like change and chaos theory or something. But, um, but it's like you go from one state to another state all of a sudden. Kate, uh, you know, I I think you should speak to this because I, I always talk about it in the ultra community for years back in the nineties, we would ride bikes for 30 hours and then your legs looked like they had elephantitis and we would blame it on the fact that we were on the bike for 30 hours. Ultra runners who run 100 miles do the same thing. You wake up the next day and you, you can't see your ankles and uh, we blame it on the exercise. And it, you know it wasn't until I got away from eating sugars and grains that I could go out and ride for 30 hours and I could still see my ankles the next day. And you had mentioned that first time you were at a Lakers game, you were sitting somewhere near the floor 
and you're looking at this guy's hands, right? We talked about that years ago. I never forgot that story because it resonated so much with what I had seen with ultra runners. You mind talking about that a little bit? Yeah. So this was actually about, um, while uh, I was working, I think it was like the second season that I was with the Lakers and, um, and, uh, one of the players had had back surgery and it was uh, one of the players that had really horrible sugar addiction. And he was like fumbling the ball. It was like he had oven mitts on his hands because people would throw it pretty much right at him. And it was still kind of somehow managed to bounce off his fingertips. Right. And, sure. but he was still an athlete, so he could kind of grab it, sure but it was still much more fumbly. For his back. And, I'm, <laughs> and we can all, we can all just, it's Lamar. Oh. Right. That's Lamar Oda. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh. Uh, actually uh, this one is, uh, I'm, I'm talking about Dwight. And so Dwight, nice. cause he had, he had a uh, real incredible uh, sugar habit. And, um, and he'd had back surgery and he got to a certain point in his healing and then he stopped prog- progressing with the healing. And um, he's, he's, a, he's come out and talked about this since, but at the time he wasn't really telling anybody that he was getting tingling in his feet. And also even more scary was that he was getting tingling in his fingers. Oh my and God. Something was going wrong with the healing process, right? Because, you know, you have surgery very close to your nerves um, your immune system starts making mistakes and who knows exactly how it all goes, goes out. But, um, I was, it was the, the, just the fact that he was fumbling and the fact that I knew he was eating all the sugar just reminded me of of what I've seen with so many of my pre-diabetic patients who have fasting blood sugars who are slightly elevated, just like maybe a hundred, 103 or something like that. But they'll tell me that they get tingling in their finger. And um, a lot of times it's attributed to carpal tunnel syndrome, but when you do an, a careful exam, it's all five fingers and it's not consistent with carpal tunnel. It's really more intrinsic to the nerve function itself. And so that um, I just, it, it reminded me of, of, of that. And I was, you know, explained it to, eventually I got a chance to explain it to the player. And that was kind of a real motivating thing for him because, you know, you were saying earlier, Mike, that, you know, you can tell these guys and um, that, you know, you should or shouldn't eat this way or whatever. And they're just like, yeah, whatever. Uh, <laughs> Until they tie it to an actual consequence, right. then it's not real. And so being having the opportunity to sit down and talk to him and tell him that this was what I was thinking was causing his problem and why he wasn't getting better at the rate that he had expected to get better. Then he was like massively motivated all of a sudden. It was like a complete 180. Yeah. He like had his five personal assistants box up all the candy that was stuffed in, you know, his every part of his house by his bedstand and his couch cushions and the covers in the cabinets and just cart it all out in boxes. And he went like cold Turkey for pretty much a no sugar um, lifestyle. And, and it, it worked great. You know, he was, he was back to feeling so much better in just a week or two. He said mm-hmm. that um, the, and his play was different. Like, in fact, like the, the commentators were saying, wow, what happened to Dwight over the all-star break? It's like the old Superman is back. And he was really, um, it was really an amazing turnaround. And part of it was emotional, right? Too, because I'm sure there was a lot of fear as to what's going on with me and that was affecting his play. And once he understood that there was something he could actually do about it besides just tough it out, um, I think that really, really helped as well. 
Is there a center of the Venn diagram, you know, if you look at longevity and health, internal health, and high performance or, or, or a high performance physique, you know, getting to really low levels of body fat or uh, attaining mac- real high levels of muscle mass? Is there a middle ground where you can have a, a healthy body, a healthy uh, internal kind of blood markers and things like that, and also achieve high performance or get to to have a, a, a what would be a shredded muscular physique. So, so hang on, let's let's re- So I do think that sometimes the two can be they right. they, they, they go at odds. Go at odds yeah. with each other. So so the difference between let's make it a little more general. We talked about it before. Fitness versus medically well. Right. Right. So those are sort of the broader categories. In the in the, the bullpen still? is Timothy DiFrancesco, yeah. who's a personal trainer who's worked with the Lakers as well. Uh, and I think he's on there. I I'm not sure. I'm on, guys. Can you oh, hear me? Tim, there you are. Hey, Tim. There he is. I don't have his phone number, so I couldn't tell him we were uh, running behind. Uh, uh, we're running behind. This is turning <laughs> into a party. Yeah. <laughs> In studio, Vinny Tordrick. Uh, on the phone is Dr. Kate Shanahan, and also now joining us, Timothy DeFrancesco. Hello, my friend. How are you? I'm great. I appreciate the pronunciation of the name. It was perfecto. No, DeFrancesco. Um, <laughs> See. <laughs> we we just we were just touching on the subject of having inter- real internal health and high performance and finding the middle ground where both can exist and not fight against each other. Um, yeah, let's give Kate first. first yeah, dibs. first dibs to Dr. Shanahan, but then uh, I'd love to hear your your thoughts on that, Tim. Go, Kate. <laughs> so I feel like um, when people do uh, sports that like they really totally love they achieve that naturally. So what I'm talking about is like surfers or mountain climbers, uh, uh, rock wall climbers. Like these are, these are folks who spend, you know, four five, six more hours a day doing their sport. And it's not like they're, um, it's not like they're pushing themselves to try to look a certain way Mm -hmm. or anything. And then, you know, if they couple that with eating well, which they often don't, um, then they can just kind of more naturally be, be super healthy. I mean, if you ever, you know, when I was in Hawaii and all of my patients who were surfers, uh, they come in for their physical exams and I could always tell they were surfers when they took their shirts off because they were completely cut and they never like, saw a trainer or anything right. it was the certain exercises are just conducive naturally to to fairly you know uh being well balanced and and of course also there's a lot of selection bias there i'm sure but what if what if we're talking about lifestyles that aren't necessarily well balanced body bodybuilding uh, fit, uh fitness model um endurance and extreme endurance athletes yeah, iron men things like that things where you're stressing your system i i know that a high level endurance athletes in particular and also you know strength athletes they're doing things for the sake of their performance or the sake of their appearance that can't naturally be very well, good Well, you're you. absolutely right, right about that, Mike, uh, if I can jump in. Uh, uh, ultra-athletes are not the healthiest people in the world. It's very one-sided. Uh, you can make the same argument about bodybuilders sure. or, or powerlifters, for that matter. You know, it, uh, Think about what bodybuilders – you know, I, I always tell people don't be fooled by the ripped muscles on a bodybuilder. They're the most unhealthy people in the world. Uh, look at them. A lot of them die very young. A lot. Uh, and if you see a lot of them who do live literally into their 70s, which is very few, they look like crap. Yeah. You know, you can't keep that – you can't stay at the party that long, right? And um, look at a lot of ultra-athletes. There's only a time period that you could do it. You can't live that far over to one side. 
for that long and get away with it, right? At some point, you have to come back to the middle. Yeah. Tim, do you have a do you have anything you'd like to add as far as finding high level performance and maintaining health? Yeah, I mean, I think that, and I, I've been just really enjoying the conversation so far and, and following along. And I, I think there is this aspect of, if you look at it, step aside from the dietary or the food, the, the supplement food intake side of it and look at the training side of it. I always think of it like this. If, if you're a strength coach for a division one college program and you've got some 19 year olds in there who are potentially going to go get a pro contract at some point, but they're 19 years old, you can kind of bang those guys around and you can really train, direct your training approaches to just purely based off of performance versus if you're working with Steve Nash and Kobe Bryant in the last five years of their career, you're not going to go in and, and say, well, can I put two more inches of vertical leap on this guy? And, you know, let's see what we can do and bang them around a little bit. So I, I think the parallels and I mean, I leave the food conversation piece to, to Kate in terms of how that ties in from a nutrition standpoint. But I think that there's definitely some parallels there. I, I think that depends on the sport. So if, if you're in this sport of composition and visual aesthetic nature of your, your body plays, plays a role in your ability to compete in that sport, then you're going to probably have to make some sacrifices in the short run for this health versus performance in your sport competition that you're playing within your own mind or, or within your sport versus, you know, basketball, you could argue and say, well, if somebody, if somebody, if a light switch uh, switches for, for a guy early enough on in his career and Dwight didn't realize when he was 27, 20 to 29, that maybe I shouldn't, you know, have this, this sugar habit that (laughs) I should address this, that he could get five more years in his career and how many more millions of dollars is that, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, it's definitely a, a debate. Let me, Kate, I want to drill in on what Tim was saying, what all everyone's saying so far, and hearken it back to your original observations about the ancient wisdoms. Ancient wisdom for the, you know, the latter decades of life did not include running marathons historically, right? And, <laughs> right. and, and it meant, it, 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 you know, the, the ancient approach would be being more sedentary and more careful. Now, some of that was because they would fall and have no treatments for that or whatever. Um, but but how do we how do we achieve that? How do well, we so you could that? fuck a lot more back then. You, you could, know? yeah. Why? Well, because you can get away with having like twenty five wives. Oh, and, I see. So you live longer if you have yeah, lots of wives. All right, well, that's a different issue. Vomitorium. The, the, what I'm saying is, Nothing like a good what I'm saying is, if you were if you were an eighty year old Egyptian, uh, let's say an eighty year old Egyptian woman, probably fall is probably your greatest risk to your life, uh, and then probably cancer and heart disease subsequently. And and they would not have advocated, you know, fitness in sure. ancient cultures. Would they have, Kate? You tell me, Kate. So one of the things that I uh, feel like happens a lot is these like mating games sort of where people uh, kind of you line up the men on one side and the women on the other side. This is kind of a common theme, particularly in Africa where we can, we have this ability to observe 
fairly relatively intact cultures. Um, that's literally what they do. They kind of like line up the women on one side, the Maasai uh, in particular, um, which are herder gatherers. Um, they line up, the women line up on one side, the men wear all this makeup and uh, they do things like get battery acid because it makes really nice dark colors on their face. It's so and, metal. You know, <laughs> things in their hair. And, um, and then they just jump high as high <laughs> as they can. And whoever jumps highest is like the most worthy or whatever. And, um, and so like that guy gets first pick of which girl Oh, wait, no. I can't remember exactly the ritual. I would never get laid in the Maasai community. I'd probably screw it up, actually. If I was there, I'd probably (laughs) do it all wrong, and I'd be picked last anyway. But but basically, it was like this fitness challenge, right? And so they don't exactly have, like, training for it, but they do have dances. So dancing and, like, these mating rituals are kind of like how it seems like that folks exhibited – and trained their physiques traditionally. It's like and the then, NFL combine. They just gather yeah, a bunch of guys and make them jump. Like. And they're like, I like that one. Look at that guy. 42 inches. You want to get laid? Jump. How high? The highest. <laughs> and then you'll get laid. I, I think the, the, the motivation in Africa is probably superior to the NFL. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying. If the, if, this, if the Lombardi trophy was just Poontang, <laughs> everyone know, would play so much harder. Uh, getting back to what Drew was saying, um, you know, when you talk about what we did in ancient time, was people running marathons? Well, people, messengers ran yeah, to, yeah. to get messages from but, village to village. But, but I mean, to remind ourselves what the marathon rush right, <laughs> right, happened yeah, to him. Yeah, exactly. He dropped dead at the end of the marathon. Uh, so they say. They <laughs> so don't know they if say. he did or not. You know, right. If he had electrolytes, maybe he would have hydrolyte. He would have been okay. Yeah, that's right. Uh, but... You know, we think about people actually had to work. You know, I always say the reason the rest of the world hates the United States is you could go to some of these poor countries in Africa where they're recruiting people for, you know, all of these militant groups. And you could go, hey, let, let me tell you guys about the United States. They have it so good that they have to make these big box gyms where they go fake workout. They go do things that, you know, they have to move weights around. Believe it or not, some of these gyms, I don't know if you guys have seen, 24-Hour Fitness now has like a a turf. It looks like a grass lawn where you could push this thing back and forth with weights on it as if you're cutting your own grass. Right. (laughs) This is what goes on. And when I I look at this stuff and go, this is why the terrorists want us dead. Because these people are still trying to do – right. you know, you're talking about ancient time. This still goes on in the world today right yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. It's, very, right? it's funny. You know, I'm glad you brought that up. And, and uh, Tim, I'd love to get your take on this too as well as Vinny's. There seems to be with the general public a real aversion to doing anything regardless of how uh, effective it is. The general public has an aversion to doing things that don't look cool. And do you find it hard with clients who aren't who aren't elite athletes, just a, a regular guy or gal? Do you find it hard to get them to just say, "Hey, listen, this is really what you need to do: buckle down, zone one yep. or two for a bit, and then also maybe throw in some deadlifts or some sprints. You're good. You don't need to swing a tire, and you don't need to have a sledgehammer hit, uh, you know, some type of ball peen pammer into a giant mousetrap. 
uh, or whatever it is that like the new, most newfangled thing is. Right. Well, the, the problem with it is, uh, you, you know, think about how stupid that looks. You, you, you watch a woman in Lycra, you know, beating the crap out of a tractor tire with a mall. Yeah. I mean, uh, what? You hold know, on, hold on. I'm going to beat off real quick. Continue. <laughs> I, I saw a trainer in the gym the other day. Oh, my God. He literally was taking the client. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were jogging around the perimeter of the gym. Right. Now, mind you, they were jogging past the fucking treadmill, <laughs> right? And I'm sitting there going, why don't you just tell the woman to get on the treadmill? Just put her on the treadmill. We have a device. We have a $7,000 device sitting right there where she doesn't have to disturb everyone else in the gym. But these two idiots are running around the gym. And my second thought was, wait a minute. Why does he – we're in L.A. Yeah. It's sunny. It's beautiful outside. It's February and sunny. How about you go get some vitamin D? How about the two of you walk outside right. and just go take a jog? Why the hell – does the gym say you have to keep this person well, it in the gym? It, I, I, honestly, I don't think it sounds cool. It doesn't sound appealing because it doesn't sound cutting edge or hip. And Do, do you find that to be the same, the same deal, Tim? Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I mean, at, uh, at, at our gym at TD athletes edge, we have a, we, we have our team mascot is Thomas the turtle and he's not sexy. He's not cool. He's, he's, he just reminds us that slow and steady wins the race. It's the cheesiest thing you could ever come up with. But at the end of the day, you've got three gyms uh, around, you know, each block, you know, to the, to our right, to our left where they're trying to, they're they're trying to sell that in the next thirty days we're gonna make you do some of the coolest craziest exercises yeah. you've ever seen and you're gonna have these crazy results within thirty days. We're we're over here just trying to like you said exactly right. We'd like to teach you how to do a deadlift the right way. So you know we you know this isn't cool and this isn't exciting. But at the end of the day, when they do that for a month and they say, oh my gosh. The last 10 years, my back pain is like nobody's been able to figure it out. And all you did was teach me how to take a bow. Right. I, I mean, it, you know, that that's why. And the problem is that that you guys both touched on it is that the the people prescribing this stuff are too either unaware and they don't have strong skill sets or toolboxes to, to educate the right way. Or they, they're just not secure enough to say, you know what, I'm going to step aside from all the noise and I'm going to do what gets, gets the results, even though that's not what attracts the bugs to the light. Tim, to your point, uh, and I'm glad you brought that up, um, and you, know, you and I have been in the game for a long time. Uh, people always say to me, why do I hate CrossFit? It's like, I don't hate CrossFit. I hate that every time I'm watching someone do CrossFit, they're not doing a squat or a deadlift, or a clean, or a clean and jerk, or a snatch, or anything correctly. It's not even right. close to correct. So people say, well, oh, you hate CrossFit. No, I hate the fact that 90% of the CrossFit teachers don't know what the hell they're doing. They don't know what to look for, and they're going to hurt people left, right, and center. Uh, what say you? Absolutely. It's, it's, they're, they're about quantity. I'm about quality, and, and, and so are you. And, and I'll just take my chances in the long run when worried about quality of, of the work that we're doing and it's just like anything else simple is usually better less is usually more it's not you know this this stuff isn't fitness and and health and exercise side of things doesn't somehow get away from what everything else in the world does right yeah. I, I to that to that note uh dr shanahan 
as much as it's impossible to get the average person to do a deadlift instead of wanting to do some high level circuit, is it impossible to get through people's skull that they should be eating high amounts of healthy fats? I mean, after you've been told so many times by a nutritionist to eat non-fat yogurt and a chicken breast with no skin, they people must look at you cross-eyed when you tell them to eat the marrow out of the bone after you're done eating the, the meat around it. When I tell people who have not heard it before, they absolutely, they're like, what? And it doesn't compute and they can't like get their heads wrapped around it. And um, so one way that I've taken to just tr- trying to describe it is, look, you, you know that when you eat uh, oatmeal or pasta or something like that, most of those calories are just turning to sugar. And, and they're like, yeah, I think I heard something like that before. Well, what we're trying to do is just switch that around. So like switch out your sugar for calories that come from fat. And one of the reasons for that is very simple. It's just that food has whole food tends to have a good amount of fat in it. And that when you stop processing your food, right? So that we actually buy chicken instead of boneless, skinless chicken nuggets or breasts, <laughs> chicken breasts. Um, and when we buy like, you know, nuts or dairy, that it has the fat in it that it naturally has. Cause people don't think about it, but most of the stuff that they buy in the store has been extracted of the fat that it came with. And then when I put it to them that way, they kind of start to get a little bit more accepting of the idea that, Hmm, gee, you're right. Like I, is it, it is a little odd that like I'll have skim milk and then the only way I'll get dairy fat is when I buy ice cream. Hmm. Now Vinny and and Kate have been advocates for quite some time. And I started wondering if there is a a point where of of diminishing return. I think I've raised this view the other day. Vinny. So my, my dad was very much in this zone. He actually went, I think overboard with the, particularly with the animal fats. He would, you know, clear off everybody else on the table who'd cut their fat off their meat. And he'd go, I want that. I'll have that. It's fucking sweet. And he ended up with large vessel vascular disease. He had his aorta look, he ended up throwing strokes to his head from the aorta. He had, he did not have carotid disease. He did not have coronary disease till way later in life. But he had large vessel vascular disease, young, and I'm wondering if that's just him, his genetic setup, or you know, if it is him, who who do we, you know, as physicians, who do we advise, and what cut off, and how much, and you, know, you worry about the do no harm factor here, Kate. I'll have you answer that. In terms of um, in terms of how where, where, you know when are you even if you don't let's say you don't know your risk and let's say that just was my dad he was at risk for large vessel vascular disease for some reason and even moderate fats for him would be too much given that it's, I don't even know what percentage of people would have that genetic risk what should the average person look at as too much in the fat zone I think that's when we start to have to talk about the quality of the fat because what kinds of fats you're getting makes a massive, massive difference. So I am not convinced that there's any reason for people who don't have familiar hypercholesterolemia to worry about their fat consumption at all when it comes to limiting it to actual food-based fats. And the non-food-based fats that I'm talking about are the vegetable oils. So when people eat too much vegetable oil, that's a a whole different world because those polyunsaturated fatty acids are what destabilizes the lipoproteins. And I think they play a major role in causing 
um, arterial sclerosis. When are we um, going to reverse that? Then yeah. when are we going to get the public? You know, oh, Vinny, give Vinny gets agita. <laughs> yeah, it, it drives me nuts every time because you know uh, we you know the, the, it's, it's so clear that that's a problem. It, it is, but you know when the vegans went down that road to get it cleared out of fast foods and take uh. the tallow out of the. the the, the, the fryers and put I'm it in the I'm not sure it was the vegans. I think it was well-meaning it, well, it was health one guy. It, groups, that was, yeah. it was one guy who yeah, yeah. started it, but the vegans jumped on it. It was a guy somewhere in, in the Midwest who had a lot of money and decided to – Kate, do you remember the guy's name? It's oh, not she wrote about my it. Tongue. Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> My arch enemy. No, he is not Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> He's uh, Ansel Keys. So no, Ansel. Keys no, 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 not Ansel Keys. No, um, Kate. Long after Ansel Keys. Somebody later. Yeah, yeah. A guy came in in the seventies. I, I will figure it out. It's oh, oh, maybe right. Some- okay, that publicized that part of it, but. I think Keys actually is the originator of all this crazy nonsense with the polyunsaturates. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, he actually, you know, Ansel Keys, his last name starts with a K. So if you've ever heard of K rations, yeah, he which started is the, the K ration for the military. In, wow. That he's, if you think about that, so the, these K rations were actually the first mass produced processed meals. And so Ansel Keys is actually the father of, processed food really um of the tv dinner when you look at convenience food yeah Yeah. well what's in what was in those things so it was cookies crackers no doubt made with vegetable oils instead of butter um some small thing of tinned meat usually and cigarettes um so great stuff right so so probably this guy had some kind of relationship with the producers of these things since you know he was making them millions and millions of dollars and I feel like that has a lot to do with his bias towards downplaying the role of cigarettes in causing heart attacks and insisting that the real problem was saturated fat. Wow. We got to take a little break here. Okay. Uh, Kate, Tim, Vinny, hold on a second. <laughs> Friends of Bergamot are back. It's a. Uh course, a brand that's made an impact on us here. It makes a variety of supplements. Could, they use the extract of the bergamot citrus fruit. It's full of polyphenols. It's a supplement that acts as a natural statin and may improve a number of cardiovascular conditions and fatty liver disease, as well as potentially high blood pressure and other things associated with the metabolic syndrome. Now the makers are bringing you a formulation called Bergamot Sport that provides all the same cardiovascular benefits, but with some additives designed to aid athletes and those with an active lifestyle. Bergamot Sport may help improve stamina as well as reduce recovery time and muscle inflammation you're not going to study professional soccer players who has to use bergamot sport and the documented improvements have been impressive i use the product first lady of loves uses the product the bergamot femme physicians cardiologists around the world are recommending it for a limited time our listeners can save 10 percent on their order by entering the code drdrew at checkout that's dr drew at checkout all one word to try bergamot sport for yourself visit bergamet.com that is b-e-r-g-a-m-e-t Com, or also you can click on the Bergamot banner at drdrew.com. Be sure to talk to your physician before you use any Bergamot products. In fact, before you use any product or supplement, be sure to talk to your doctor. Welcome back to the Swole Patrol. Oh, so swole. Uh, <laughs> D- You're good. Personal trainer somebody. Timothy DeFrancesco worked with some of the highest level athletes on the planet. He also works with Average Joe's, so make sure you get in touch with him if you are in need of his services. Mr. DeFrancesco, where can listeners find you if they want to? 
You bet. So check us out, www.tdathletesedge.com. can find us on Instagram, at tdathletesedge, and also on Twitter, at tdathletesedge. We have a great Facebook following and, and put content there all the time on how to sort of cut through the noise of what are the right things to do from a training and workout exercise standpoint supported by nutrition, recovery, and connecting mind to body. So would love to hear from anybody in, in any of those places and, and um, it, very, very excited to be on the show today. Thank you, man. Also, uh, Dr. Kate Shanahan, I'm excited to have you here as well. Deep Nutrition, a book I, over all other nutritional information books, I recommend Deep Nutrition more so than anything else. It is the most uh, sound and, and reasonable approach to eating I've ever found, and I can't recommend it enough. Dr. Kate Shanahan is the author. She joins us as well. And sitting right next to me is the man himself, Vinny Tortorich. I'm clapping for yeah. me. I cla- I'm clapping for all three, but I just yes. wanted to, you know. No, no. Just, hey, I, I'm obsessing about something. I want of course, to wait. Of course, <laughs> uh, let's uh, let people know. For those who are not familiar, uh, Fitness Confidential podcast is the one that Vinny is behind, and he is a very, very smart man. So I, I, I get obsessional about stuff. And, and Kate, you know, I, again, I've told you I'm jealous of your biochemical training. And, and you raised this issue about ancient practices, and so my head's spinning in that zone a bit. And I, I just was thinking about. You know why we like I, I as I age plan to still focus on fitness. I, I don't yeah. care what ancient practices were. I think I'm gonna I'm gonna keep <laughs> focusing on fitness. Um, but the, and the, my head goes well. You know why in ancient Egypt would an 80 year old have had a sedentary life? And perhaps it's the case that really falls and infection were probably the greatest risk to these people. And so they, of course, would have to just stay still because if they fell or got an infection, got a wound and infection, that game over. Yeah. And so cancer and heart disease and, you know, staying functional and what well, you would say, keep, keep having sex, Mike. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> keep, keep your vag and your dick in, <laughs> right. in good working all, order. All that were low priorities compared to avoiding fall and avoiding infection. What, am I onto something there, Kate? Absolutely. I think that one one thing that we uh, that might help us figure this out is to realize that uh, Egypt, Egypt was kind of an exception. So was China, and uh, you know these civilizations, the cradles of civilization. Because for a hundred thousand years, two hundred thousand years, maybe longer, prior to that, folks were much more mobile. Right? We just were naturally mobile and. Um, one of my favorite all-time favorite uh, movies, which you might really like, actually, Dr. Drew, is called Grass, A Nation's Battle for Life from 1925 by uh, the same director, actually, who would later do King Kong. Wow. Um, it chronicles um, the migration of these people across the Zardaku Mountains somewhere in like Afghanistan or something. And they went from like one grassy plain over this whole mountain range to another grassy plain with their goats and sheep. And the whole tribe would go, everybody, pregnant women, you know, two-year-olds, 80-year-olds uh, if they could make it, and all their goats and everything. And to get there, I mean, it was incredible. They were scaling, you know, mountain peaks, breaking through snow that was way steep. They had to go. It was the equivalent of a marathon every single day for a month. Okay. So we were very, um, very 
migratory uh, generally, um, you know, for as uh, particularly the, the hunter gatherers and, uh, and then the herder gatherers, which is how I think people existed for the majority of our, of our time on earth here. Um, and, and so we had to be active and it was going to be the rare 60, 70, 80 year old who like didn't fall and break something. Right, right. So what that does though, is it means that these older folks were so rare and their knowledge of how the seasons worked and everything like that was so unique and cherished. It just completely sets up a social structure that's very different than what we have today. Sure. Uh, Kate, uh, let me add to that because you bring up some interesting points. Uh, uh, Lauren Cardain uh, famously said, you know, we talk about uh, the age at which people would die back then. But he would say, look, for every person that was born, one would die. So that would cut the age range in half right there, right? I think it was worse than that. Yeah, so – right. be, be, For every person that was born, there would be – half the women would die and then two-thirds right. of the babies so, would die. So you know, people still could live as long as they do now. But when you average it all in, it brings it down to 30. So people go, oh, everybody was dropping dead at 35, you know. But even you know, now, to be to be fair, even at the turn of the century in this country, the the Nick, the TV show that I love so much, did a great job of this. In the opening episode, the the there's somebody who dies, and the the surgeon gets up and goes, "Today, a man who's 30 years of age." At the turn of the twentieth century, you're watching a television show. No, they, I'm, no that's no, what bothers me. No, about no, 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 <laughs> no, no. Listen to me. I, I, you know, I get freaked out about that too. No, this is. I, they did exquisite medical history in this show. Right. Every, everything medical historically is like to the letter. And they had this medical historian. They, they've, I've seen him interviewed and stuff. And he, this, this physician gets up and goes, a thirty year old man who today is thirty years of age can expect to live to the age of forty five. It was. That's the way it was. It was. I'm <laughs> jealous. But, but yeah. You know, again, back to Kate's point. She said, you know, she was talking 200,000 years ago, right? Yeah. Even if you go back 2,000 years to the Roman Empire, yeah. when, when they were ru- ruling the world, they would move armies every day. Yeah. And you had 145-pound men that had maybe another 100, 150 pounds of equipment that he was carrying with him, his, his armor and everything else. That's like Drew carrying his dick. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's the burden the of The one that doesn't pump anything. Kate, don't gigantic, him. massive Kate, dog. Do not listen to him. But, but you, take, <laughs> you take those people, right? And they were moving at least 30, 40 miles a day. With all of that equipment, they were marching. Yep. They were basically right. jogging. Yet, you know, today you got to get the lightest tennis shoes and clothes that way, nothing, and hopefully run well, a marathon. And then you're out of shape for a week. You can't do anything for a week. These people did that day in and day out yeah, that, to move whole armies. That, that leads into a question that I had for you, Vinny, and for you, Tim, is that how it does seem like if we take anything from, you know, cultures, whether it be 25 years ago or, you know, 2,500 years ago, the low-level, consistent movement, day in and day out, because of the lack of technology, the average guy in America in 1901 is probably way healthier than the – now, the elite athlete has never been more well-tuned than they are today. But yeah. the average dude is probably a lot stronger, a lot more picture, fit in 1910. Tim, what do you think, Tim? And, the fat person didn't, was right. like not fat. Well, my question <laughs> is, my question is, what is the effective dose of that type of movement to add into you know, your two to three days a week of hitting the gym hard? What's the what's the effective dose of just day in and day out movement, You know, being a, being a, being a mobile person? I, I think it, I think it's less complicated than we're all making it. I, I I think that it's look if you go out and you're you're gonna get some level of 
varied movement, varied linear versus lateral side. You're, you're moving around different directions. You're breaking a sweat two to three times per week. Now what's, I mean, I think then you're going to be okay. And you're adding in some responsible resistance training work, actually slowing it down, not worried about hitting a hundred squats and a hundred, you know, cleans and a hundred kipping pull-ups in a workout, but you're, you're slowing it down and doing five sets of five of each of those. I mean, I really think that you're going to be okay. And I think that what's happened is social media, these different social networks and, and also, training and fitness apps that connect so many people in is in many ways on face value. It's such a great thing. It, it creates competition, et cetera, et cetera. It also pushes these people that have a tendency to overdo to be in that state from an exercise standpoint. And sure. I think that there's a lot of people that come in to us at a certain point are like, Hey, I'm just tired of going through this vicious cycle. Like I overdo it every year on Jan one and I jump into this new thing. And then I, that last year I blew out my shoulder this year, my, my knee exploded, you know, whatever it might be. And now it's like, well, why is this happening? So, and it, it's just impossible for them to believe. That. Tim, you broke up there. Let me try to reconnect. He was, sorry. Was, there you, you are. Can you, 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 you have me? Back. Yeah. He imploded. So, <laughs> so I just think that it's impossible, you know, and, and I mean, I really think that the, the simpler approach is, is, is best. And I think, you know, it doesn't have to be complicated. I, I think that it, it can be, you know, moving around, breaking a sweat in different directions, moving through different planes of motion, that kind of thing. A couple of times a week, you have to get the resistance training. That's not, that, that's just not sexy and exciting to, to Mike's point earlier, it's like that's not exciting, but that's what's going to help you win the long game. And, and to add to Tim's point, Mike, um, you know, if we look at you, know, I read a great book, and I I thought it was a great book, and apparently I was the only person who read it. It was called Manthropology. Hmm. This uh, anthropologist went to discover that modern man was the best man of all time, and hmm. it turns out. We were the weakest pieces of shit <laughs> throughout the history of man. If you go back to Neanderthals and, and what have you, we're the weakest. How's that? That doesn't fit evolutionary biological principles. But he because was able to show how they could run. The average woman back then, 5'5", five, five, you know, they were able to do it through anthropology, figure out that they could run the equivalent of four 340s, right? Because they were running away from animals. The high-level human being has never been more high-performing ever yeah. than, than the, you know, LeBron James. Is, there's nothing like it ever in the history of athletics. But the average man and woman has never been weaker or more shitty. And that goes for yeah. endurance markers. That goes for general health. And that goes for strength. And, and they could prove that over and over. Drew. I, and Drew is squinting here. But I got to get you this book. You have to read it. it it's a fascinating okay. book. Right. But if you look at it, to, you know, to Tim's point... You know, even when I was a kid in the 70s, you had to walk outside and, and do something. There was no staying in the house and looking at a shiny piece of glass yeah. and tapping on it. But I That's think, all kids are doing I, I, now. It's, it's, let's, let's state something, though. I think we're being U.S.-centric in our assessments. Maybe. Uh, a little. A little. I don't but know what's We're also on. very U.S.-centric in our listenership. No, I understand. I mean, how many people but, in the Czech Republic Vinny, are like, but, oh, yes, we have swimming pools. Very good. Vinny made a proclamation about mankind. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> but, but wait, look, sure. even when you go to third world countries, I was in India. Look, they have automobiles. No one is wandering No, the I, land. I get you. You know what? You know, Mary Stevens on Facebook said the Midwest got a workout today getting the snowblowers and pushing snow. Well, yeah, it's true. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's true. Before, you true. would have to 
get the shovel. There was no, right. you know, no 20 years ago, people couldn't even afford a, a snowblower. It's a lot of snow. But, but you understand, <laughs> if you wanted to leave the house, you had to get a shovel. You had to dig yeah. out. Yeah. Right, the, the blowers weren't there, and you, you can't look at one event one day in the Midwest. You, you have to look at overall. Even in third world countries, they have they have combustible engines, yeah, they yeah. have electricity, they have coal, they have all of this stuff. And even worse, they have McDonald's. Exactly. You know, and you're looking at the America is only holding on to fattest country in the world by a narrow margin. It goes back and forth with places like Mexico, which 30 years ago was unheard of that the general Mexican population, the general public in Mexico would be fat. But it's the westernization of things. So to say, yes, we are American-centric, but kind of that's the way it is now. It's, it's all moving that way. I mean, Look around because you go to even the in third world countries, they, they have cell phones now. They have, I, I they have everything. Saying. I'm just saying. Let's watch well, ourselves. Look, there was a time when we just roamed the earth, yeah. right? He, yeah. uh, he was just talking about, Kate was talking about people going, you know, scaling mountains. We, we've got, to get I just feel like we've gone down a, a big rabbit hole. All right, hold Let's on. Pull Let me out. pull, I'm going to pull everyone out of the rabbit hole because uh, there's nothing better than um, saying I told you so to Dr. Drew. And I want to do that right now. <laughs> Good. With, first with, with Dr. Shanahan and then I will uh, allow Tim and hopefully Vinny to stick up for me in another point. The first one is is that Dr. Drew, for many years, uh, Dr. Shanahan would shit on me for <laughs> drinking raw dairy. And I said, no, man, I really feel like it helps me out. I, I, the I, end, I, what I would do. activity, no, no, and I no. get a lot of congelated linoleic acid. You go, you're going to die of some no, no, terrible what disease. I, what I would say is, dude, I used to treat brucellosis at the county hospital. It In was not fucking cool. 1978. I'm just saying. Okay? I'm just saying. So that's what I would say. So, Kate, straighten this out. <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, I drink, I drink raw milk. Oh, did I drop out? Because I can't. No, you're no, good. We got you. We got you. Loud clear. <laughs> yeah, so I, I do drink raw milk, and hopefully, I don't have brucellosis. But, um, I, but uh, you, I think the it always helps to get perspective, right? So, hundred years ago, again, we didn't have pasteurization machines because it was just not practical. Just like we did, how they didn't they hadn't been invented yet, so nobody had a pasteurization machine, and we had. Cows, everybody had a cow. They had cows all over the Midwest. The New England was founded on cows, practically. Uh, and of course, all throughout Asia and everything like this. So it, it just it helps to get that perspective that, yeah, sure, you can, if you don't treat your cows well, I mean, I, you know, it's important to know that when you're getting raw milk, you should get it from a farmer that has some kind of a standard in the way he's cleaning his animals, udders and all this kind of stuff. Um, and you're absolutely definitely putting yourself at, at risk in ways that you wouldn't be putting yourself at risk if it were pasteurized. But the same is true with sushi and raw salad. And, and these days, like Jiffy peanut butter and like what kind of cookie hasn't been recalled recently, you know? So it's just, it's, um, it's a little bit unfair for the uh, farmers um, who actually produce raw milk because out in California, actually where raw milk is legal, one of the biggest uh, dairy farmers is, um, uh, Mike something, or I can't remember his last name, Mick, Mick something of organic pastures. And he's constantly having to fend off these lawsuits where so-and-so went to, you know, their child was diagnosed with something that could theoretically have come from raw milk, but um, 
because they told the doctor that they drank raw milk, that's what it was, right? And there was one case that I, I had heard of where there was actually um, a lawsuit that they were, uh, you know, the, the, the anti-raw milk crowd was trying to bring this woman's child's case to bear as evidence against raw, raw milk that tried to make it illegal. And um, she ended up writing me like uh, a year or so after the whole case was over and said that she found out that her child who was admitted to the hospital with E. coli and yes, it had some raw milk. Well, it turns out that uh, he'd also been eating chicken's uh, fingers right. or chicken yeah. bones from the garbage oh boy. before oh. he went to the hospital. Yeah. And the doctor's not going to ask, uh, does your child eat from the garbage? You know, when, right. yeah. when someone comes into the hospital, they're going to ask the more common questions. Did you eat, you know, what we learn, so which is this co- stuff comes from raw milk and uncooked hamburgers and, and you know, the, the usual suspects. We're not going to try to really be fair in our, before we finger raw milk for as the cause. I fingered it once, yeah. and then it, it, it became a Me Too issue. It, the whole thing just got out <laughs> I, of I'm hand. actually just laughing to myself thinking it, that it could be an immigrant issue, too, because I'm biased because I was treating tons and tons of immigrants back in the day, and I saw tularemia and brucellosis and all kinds of stuff that we don't even see anymore. And uh, and it biases me. It does. Of course. Yeah. But, okay. I want, uh, but now that I've already kicked Dr. Drew's dick off with uh, Rod Mer- <laughs> Dairy and a food and rock, I want to I wanted now move to uh, something that uh, has been a point of contention between Dr. Drew and I for a long time and that is uh i always say if you have 10 minutes and you're gonna go work out you got a deadlift and i drew says i can't do that my back hurts i have a i have a bad no, back. No, I, go, I, I go linear progression you start light buddy that's gonna take care of your back pain not harm not make it worse yeah, okay and so he argues uh, with so okay so tim let me let me appeal my case all right I, okay I'm not a young man I love heavy lifting. It's my it's the most okay. gratifying thing I do. Tim, I've been trying to talk him out of it for the heavy lifting for a long time. <laughs> you, no, he's and so an idiot. No, my body is sort of, <laughs> my, my joints have pulled me out of it, mm-hmm. and so I have shoulder and elbow and back stuff now, and I work around it, and it's fine. But the idea of going and doing a, a heavy lift with the goal of it being a heavy lift that's not my, that's not what I'm saying. All I'm saying is that it's not about the weight; it's about the movement itself, and and which, that movement. Which one are you recommending? The Which deadlift, one? the hip hinge, and deadlift is uh, yeah. uh, is something that will will bolster the muscles in your back. Yeah. Now I'm not expecting you to hit 600 pound PR. No. I, but if it's I, 135 pounds, you do it five times with perfect form. That's more beneficial than doing some candy ass exercise that you're doing to sublimate the fact that you can't deadlift. I, 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 I the candy ass stuff I do is like heavy heavy incline and some you know more more concentrated muscular you know some. But down. I think the point Mike is trying to make before Tim answers, because yeah. Tim, we're dying for your answer, yeah. is you have 10 minutes and you want to get the most bang for your buck. You can get one good exercise in with a warm up and do the whole exercise. Doing an incline press heavy. No, because, no, because I would mix it up with a bunch of other stuff and but, move but, fast but, through it. Yeah, that's yeah. Not doing all anything. nonsense. Yeah, you know, kinda. you're you're, tr- you're eating you're eating around the ice cream, and then you have the ice cream. Anyway. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, five by five but, deadlift. I, even if it's light, I'm, I'm saying five I'm, sets I'm of five. I'm with Mike. Tim, what do you say? And, and, uh, and let me uh, before, you do, before you go, so, let me, so, before you go, go just go, go, before you go, go, just just bending over to pick up the deadlift is is a, is a thing. Okay? I understand. Well, now my ten okay. minutes is gone. <laughs> no, go ahead. So go ahead. All right. So let's qualify one thing first. You, you, Mike, you brought up. Uh, hip hinge and deadlift using them as as the same and although they technically are the same they're also technically different in the sense that a hip hinge and a deadlift are, are they all they 
a deadlift includes a hip hinge, but a hip hinge does not have to be a deadlift. Gotcha. Okay. So, so I would, I would say to you that Dr. Drew can absolutely and should 100%, I, I completely agree with you, uh, Mike, Mike, that in, you know, principle. This, this, the, in principle, in the sense that this hip hinge should be 100% in his patterns of what he's doing. There's so many different variations of the hip hinge that not all hip hinge variations are great for all people. So we need to get to the bottom of this. This And that's, that's my point here is that, look, there's nuances to this whole area. So whether we're talking about you know, a hip hinge versus a deadlift, deadlift being something that you're actually deadlifting from the ground, maybe, maybe he shouldn't be doing that. But I would argue that this hip hinge, sh- the movement of a hip hinge should be in his movements of what he's doing. Maybe it's a band resisted pull through. Mm-hmm. So picture a hit a deadlift action with a band tied off behind you and you're pulling it through your legs to a standing position, that yeah, type yeah. of thing. Yeah. But the key being that there's nuances to all of these movements and to just say, well, I just do these movements. I don't know. I've not been educated and guided on these movements. I think that's the big key here. And this is where people get into trouble. This is, exactly, yeah. this is exactly the issue yeah. where people go to the gym and they just say, well, I was told that deadlifts are awesome for everybody. And, you know, they can be, but they need Yeah, they can be dangerous as well. No, I think at the end of this pod, we're course. going downstairs and we're going to stand over a bar and you're going to show me what the proper movement is. And then I'm going to just throw about yes! six plates on and crush it. <laughs> yeah. And just launch it through the ceiling. I'll videotape it. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see that. Uh, I want to see it. Anything else? I, I know, Vinny, you had a, you said you had a question that I, I kind of stepped on you when I went to the raw dairy. I forgot, so. I forgot where we were. We were talking about raw dairy. We were yes. talking. Oh, uh, yeah, you know, just, Kate, where, where are you with raw dairy? I mean, one of the things, uh, you know, I have a vitamin company, full disclosure. I'm not telling anyone they have to take my vitamins. The bottom line is we have, you know, a lot of deficits, a lot of people losing a lot of stuff. And from raw dairy, can't. Under the K, under K2, there's K, uh, MK4 and MK7, which is something you can get from raw dairy, if I'm not mistaken. I'm, I'm going through my right. my brain. And, and we have people now who are lacking in that, and it's a very important vitamin. What say you? Grass-fed dairy fat is a source of a couple of fairly unique, hard-to-come-by uh, nutrients, including the, uh, the vitamin K2 and uh, also, something called conjugated linoleic acid, yeah, yeah, which yeah. has some powerful anti-cancer properties, as well as good old-fashioned omega threes, where you know a lot of people who don't like fish oil, cod liver oil, or don't eat fish um, can benefit just from getting grass-fed dairy fat. And it I, doesn't matter if it's raw; actually, you still have a lot of it if it's not raw. But heat does destroy these fragile nutrients, so you have a, a little bit more the less it's been heated. I, I that's you've got me on the grass-fed butter. Yeah, is that? Yeah, I'm a big fan. Yeah. I'm a big fan. I mean, I, I I like that as a fat source. Yeah. I really enjoy it. But yeah. you know, there's a lot of other beautiful ways to get CLA, the conjugated linoleic acid, yeah. which has, you know, I, I Vinny, you and I have talked about this before. Yeah. 
I'm not a supplement guy. There is definitely a need for certain things, like you know maybe your fish oil here or certain uh, deficiencies that people have, with, whether it be magnesium or vitamin D. Uh, but it, overall, I really do think that if you make the effort, you can get the, the stuff from your food. And there is conclusive and ample scientific proof that conjugated linoleic acid does some kick-ass things yeah, yeah. In, a, in, a, in a myriad of right, ways. Right, but to Kate's point, and she, she mentioned it, and it, it deserves mentioning again, people should have fish oil every day. Yeah. You know, it's it's something you should not miss in your diet. Well, and, and let me advocate on behalf of the average person. The average person will not and cannot do, Mike, what you do. They cannot plan their day and get their sure. meals set. They can't do it. And I if, totally agree with and that. And if they had somebody do it for them, they can't afford it. And they can't even afford what you what you pile in, you know, and then they don't have the time to go back to the grocery store and get yeah. So so the idea of supplements as a next alternative is right. something I'm, I'm yeah, sure. Yeah. Because I, I listen, I Kate, do you still practice medicine? Are you still doing general medicine at all? I do. Yeah, and so you yes. know, it, just to get an average person to take a pill every day is a big deal. You know what I mean? I mean, it's people are not. This is a yes. probably people that listen to this, and certainly Telling those of us to do anything, different. anything, anything. It's very difficult to get people to change their Gotta behavior. Change. Yeah, and so these are high order changes in behavior and priorities. Yeah, they're life. first world situations. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And so the idea that supplements could be. An alternative, I'm very, uh, you know, sensitive to because it should, you know, people should right. have that op- option. Well, you, you look the, when you think about what this show is all about. It's, it's Swole Patrol. It's trying to get people to the next level, right? Sure. Health and fitness wise. So we are talking to that. We we are. I think we are mostly talking to that. But let's let's not forget that it's hard for people to, to institute things. That, I can't do what Mike does. I'd love to do what he does. Right. And I'm a disciplined person. And right. I just can't pull it off. I can't do it. I just I, I can't prioritize it for some reason. But I could certainly do some of it, and I could take some supplements. No problem. Right. So, yeah, there you go. Finish it. Finish the thought. What What would they be? The and thought I, is done. And the, what would they be? Then I would like to hear from all three of you from from Kate, from Tim, and from you, Vinny. If you know, we can all agree that it's best to get it from your diet. But there are certain supplements that are, are that are a, a go to, and people should be going to. What are they? You go first, Kate. And we'll let I'll go last. Tim, Kate. I'm gonna just have to say it depends on what they're eating, what their eating habits are. I usually when people ask me that question, I usually do a kind of a brief little dietary analysis of what. Well, what do you eat? Do Jesus, you not eat Kate, there's a great idea for like a app there, or a website, or something right there. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know what I mean? Okay, let's do it. Yeah, really. Uh, so, I would uh, I would go right to it this afternoon and go. Here's my here. Let me input my diet. Yeah. Let's see what I'm missing. You know, that yeah, kind of thing. yeah, exactly. So so it's it's pretty easy to figure out. I, I do have some tools that I use online, and then I say, okay, well, look, looking at what you do, then I think you definitely need this, that, and the other thing. And then I usually stop after about three things. And whenever possible, I mention Vinny's because he doesn't have any additives in there. And a lot of people who are asking me these things have yeah. intolerances to a lot of the normal additives. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, Tim? And that's uh, – the uh, please give Pure Vitamin Club. Pure, PureVitaminClub.com is my company. There you go. Yeah. Okay. And Tim? Thank you. Thank you, Kate. Tim? Yeah. I mean, I look, I come from the, the school of Dr. Kate in this area, so I, I have a, a similar type of response. I, I tend to get a lot of people – who talk to me about areas of deficiencies and the things that they're reporting in the areas that I'm sure everybody here would agree with. And in today's diet, it's hard to get things like magnesium. It's hard to get things like good quality vitamin D. Well, of course, if you're not willing or able to go out in the sunshine, um, you know, if you, if you just don't eat any 
seafood or pasture grass-fed beef that would give you some of the omegas, that kind of stuff. I, I mean, I think those are some of the areas that I'm investigating and thinking about as I'm talking to somebody. But same as Kate, I, I think it's hard to just take a shotgun approach and say, look, take, take these three things, you should be covered. Um, and, and again, that's back to the, the nuances. There's levels to this shit, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. That's you know, right. Tim, I, I think we, we are uh, brothers from a different mother. <laughs> Pe- people ask me this all the time and they'll say, I, I get this question online. They'll say, how much D do I need? Mm. D is in dog. How much magnesium? And I tell everyone the same thing when it comes to D. D is a hard one. D is a tough one, but yeah. here, here's how simple it is. You, everyone should go to the doctor once a year to get blood work done. Right, and when you think about all the money people waste on on gyms that they never go to and supplements that they never use and all of this stuff, I always tell people you go to the doctor whenever they're taking your blood work, spend a couple of extra of your own bucks, even if insurance doesn't cover it. It's not that expensive. Have them test you for D. Have them test you for magnesium. Have them test you for B vitamins. B as in boy, mm-hmm. because some people are lacking in folic acid and uh, folate just in general. Hey, I, I'll tell you. Also, I see a lot of B twelve deficiency with the use uh, of all the, the uh, acid blockers. And exactly, it, it, and metformin. Yeah. Metformin, yeah. The di- some of one of the ma- most common diabetes drugs, metformin, yep. uh, makes it so that even if your level is adequate, you might not function normally. And I'm not sure exactly how that works, but everybody on metformin should be taking B12. Yeah, and you know, it, and wouldn't both of the doctors here agree that it's so easy and it's so cheap? The tests are being done anyway. They could test you for these couple of extra vitamins. Yeah. If you have any, we get the whole episode on vitamin D. Though it's really hard. It's, oh, yeah. a hard one. it's a hard one to complex, figure out yeah. because once you get up to level, then you have to go back in, and no one's going to go back the in. What's level and how do you get? Yeah, and how do you get there? And, yeah, and yeah. then how do you how yeah. do you level it off yeah, and so yeah. on and so forth? It, it's very very difficult. Yeah. But yeah. it should be addressed, and it should be looked should, at routinely. It should be looked yep, at. I agree. Absolutely. I agree with that. Kate? I've actually stopped checking vitamin D because I checked it for like 10 years, and I found that if people weren't supplementing from somewhere between two and 4,000, that they were um, not in range. Yeah, and if, me too. So that if they were supplementing like five or 8,000, they were a little too high. And if they were not supplementing, but if they were just supplementing 1,000, most people were actually too low. Yep, so, that's my experience too. So, yeah, so I just tell people now, I mean, I used to do this thing where if they were low, I would give them a prescription form with 50,000 international yeah. units and I'd test them again. But there's so much loss to follow up and all that, that I just started saying, okay, just have, you know, 4,000 instead of the 2,000 if they were low. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so it makes like That, my that has been my work. practice too. That's really? exactly <laughs> my practice. Yeah. Although I still check once oh, in yeah. a while, people are interested. And even at four, some people are still kind of low, particularly as you get older. Um, but, you know. I, I agree with Kate. That's, uh, man, yeah. that's good, solid it's advice. Pragmatic, right? yeah, it's yeah. pragmatic. I feel sufficiently swole. I'm pretty. Well, right. I mean, I think I would. <laughs> I, w- I would just toss in there real quick, that, and I would love for everybody outside of me on the on the call here to talk because it's. I'm going to defer to everybody here on this topic. But am I wrong to say that these things don't occur in silos in your body? Like, you know, so as as you change your D levels that can mess around with these other things, including vitamin K, including calcium, including, you know, so (laughs) Kate, as, as you've always talked to me about, it's like, it's funny how nature has a way of getting things to you with the right accompaniments that help absorption, that help use of these things as well. And, and I get there's two points to this. Yeah. But there's these people that are out there that are just not going to, 
you know, they need the pill form. Okay. But you know, we, you know, I, I think that's worth talking about. That's a, that's a great point. And you know, I, I was having this conversation with a friend of mine the other day and he's talking about how he's really regulating his blood sugar. He's taking RALA and he's taking cinnamon extract and they, and then I, I go, yeah, but then what's your biotin like way, yeah. you know, and subsequently right. from taking this, it, it is this weird kind of yeah. chain reaction yes. that you mother nature. Wonder. Yeah. Mother nature does not like you screwing with it. I have, I have one final no. question. I just thought about, it. I was saying that I was sufficiently, sufficiently swole, but uh, a lot of good info coming through. I want to talk to uh, Dr. Shanahan first about this and, and then get Vinny and, and Tim to chime in. Dr. Drew and I, uh, the one thing we do agree on is that people, really? Well, yeah, it's, we, uh, we yeah. really enjoy busting I mean, each other's chops. He's chocolate. got a little bit of a, a clip in his voice that makes me concerned what's no, coming here. This is, this is, you, right. and I, this right, is you and I coming together and right, pressing our penises ahead. together for the yeah, good yeah. of right. everyone to Swords. Cross um, swords. One of the biggest fallacies I think that's been perp- perpetrated on the general public is the idea of meal timing. And meal frequency. Oh, yeah. And this whole notion that came out in the 90s of, like, you got to have six to seven small meals to keep the metabolism. And, and, and to be so. fair, and to, to frame this even more, it's, that's always driven my crazy. And I found it anathema to my personal biology. Both. What are your guys' feelings on uh, – yeah, I'd love to hear Dr. Kate first. Um, your feelings on the idea of meal frequency, and, and is it something that is actually that important? Can you get, can you get just as healthy or even maybe be healthier – if you limit your meals to two or three or one, the, the time between meals should be considered a fourth essential macronutrient because the more time we give ourselves, the more we actually are forcing our bodies to dip into body fat, burn it and produce ketones, which are, which, you know, we, we need to have that metabolic state in our lives for a certain portion of our lives. We don't know what it is, but so it's essential. And when they've done research actually on this uh, idea of frequent small meals, they found that it fails on every level. So when you control it, when people are in a completely controlled situation, they're eating six equally sized uh, meals, uh, same number of calories as, as three larger meals, the people end up being hungry more often when they're eating these more frequent oh, small oh, meals. Yeah, so they think sure, that alone be is detrimental. Yep. And, and, then, and there's a lot would, of there's would, a lot going into that, right? Like ghrelin and and, and leptin set points well, that, and things like that. That's the point I was going to make on it. Is uh, you know, it, it was all a fallacy. Once we started telling people to cut fat out, obviously they were adding in more sugars and grains. Now you have two problems. Along with insulin, you're releasing ghrelin and leptin. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna predict though that the ghrelin and leptin story is going to be extremely broad and and. and individual specific sort of biology in other words but, the three of us here may have very different biologies it, it does yeah but but overall when you look at overall people, you're right uh, overall, when you look at people if you have people if they become resistant to leptin and ghrelin 100%. then you have a problem where they feel hungry all the time and yep. the way yep. the weight watchers of the world yep. got you to not feel hungry was to have you graze like a cow all day <laughs> yeah. versus and our systems and Kate you can speak to this our systems were never made we only have one stomach. We don't have yeah. four like a cow. Right. You can't just keep taking in calorie all day long. You, you can't, your system is not set up to handle that much activity. What say you? Absolutely. It just doesn't make sense on really any level. I mean, if we were supposed to be eating all day long, we would have a much larger percentage of our bodies devoted to our digestive tracts and we would look more like gorillas. 
Right. Yeah. Well, that'd be my, that's what my school on for. I've been to Glendale. I mean, I've, I've seen. <laughs> no, but you've got either small penis, big, big. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've gi- gigantic muscles, small penis. You, you, that's the look it. I'm going for. Yeah. Um, and and Tim, I'd love yeah, if you could chime in. I understand it's probably different when you're working with a high level athlete or an NBA player or something like that. But uh, for the average guy and gal looking to stay in shape, meal frequency, uh, how how do you fall on that? I think it comes down to, again, I, I just like to simplify things. And it's, it really comes back to eat when you're hungry, don't when you're not. People, I, the question that I get a lot is, should I eat before a, a, a workout? And how many hours and what should I eat, et cetera, et cetera. My first question is, do you feel better in your workouts when you eat something of healthy, relatively healthy nature about an hour, hour and a half before, so on and so forth? Or do you feel like it, it sort of slows you down? It, every, it, it, the point was brought up just a second ago. It was everybody's a little different in these areas. Yeah, sure. So I, yeah. I think that has to be applied too, is that there is not one blanket answer to this. Yep. But be able to say, well, hey, personally, I work out much better on an empty stomach. That's and me. so that's okay. You're not no going to collapse and die of as long as you haven't gone for yeah. 30 straight days of eating nothing. Um, it, you're, you're probably going to be more than just fine. And, and it's pretty normal and okay that you feel actually a little better in that environment versus, hey, if you eat a, a, a piece of a whole, you know sprouted grain toast with some healthy peanut butter on it and you say, I feel better when I do that, Go for it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's, uh, that's very reasonable advice. And I think that's a good uh, point to wrap things up. Tim D. Francesco, I, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, TDAthletesEdge.com. That's Tom Daryl Athletes Edge.com. TD. That's it. Uh, and also at TD Athletes Edge on Twitter and Instagram. I, I really appreciate you joining us. It was a blast. Thank and you very much. Dr. Kate, uh, Deep Nutrition is the book. I can't recommend it enough. Is there anywhere else I could lead listeners to uh, to get more information on the stuff you're working on? Oh, yes, please. DrKate.com, my website, which is drcate.com. And, of course, Vinny, you're the man. you got a lot of places to go to. you got a lot of great uh, services you can yeah. offer people. Uh, the, the best place for people to get any information is at vinnytotaries.com. I have a free PDF. It's completely free. There's no clickbait. There's no, here's two pages of it. It's a 25-page PDF uh, guaranteed to make you 5% smarter in health and fitness <laughs> just by downloading it right. before you even read it. <laughs> and I will say, and I'm not blowing smoke, Vinny. Yeah. Uh, for, for everyone out there, the, the modern age, we've talked about how um, social media and things has kind of muddied the waters for so much. So a great way to really simplify things and bring you back to good health yeah. is your NSNG. Yeah. The no sugar, no grains. Well, it's just uh, really smart. And it's it's, it's all, a lot all of real. All yes. three of our guests very much in that same yeah. zone. So yeah. All right. We appreciate it very much, guys. So swole right now. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks guys. Up. Fucking swole patrol. We got so swole today. Dr. Kate and Tim D. Francesco. Vinny Toto Rich got us swole swole with his coffee and his vitamins. Oh, yeah. Vinny Toto Rich. Big, thick, dong, just like I can drink. And I'm sitting over here with my tiny little wiener. But I got big muscles, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. Well, we're so pleased to have Hydrolyte back. Hydrolyte is something that we and my family use just about every day, and it is simply the best oral rehydration product I have ever seen. And there are many reasons you should keep some around. I got the flu. I relied on Hydrolyte because I knew it would rehydrate me the way an IV fluid would. 
We all have heard about the flus and the diarrheas, and they all knock you out. Staying well hydrated is critical to getting over these conditions. Even if you manage to avoid getting infected, your schedule is half as busy as mine. Getting eight glasses of water a day isn't likely to happen. And you don't need it if you've got the proper hydration product, Hydrolyte. That is the beauty. Whether you're sick or not, you're going to absolutely benefit from proper balance of sodium, glucose, and water. Hydrolyte does this better than a sports drink or water alone. That's right, better. And it comes in great flavors like orange, berry, lemonade. It's available in a pre-mixed powder. Of my personal preference, the little effervescent tablets you can simply drop in a bottle of water or a glass of water, and you're done. You got it, and you are rehydrated. And compared to sports drinks, Hydrolyte delivers up to four times the electrolytes with 75% less sugar. I know. Don't buy into the hype of the brands. Use Hydrolyte. It's a better product. I'm telling you, I had intended to invent it. They got there first, so I'm all behind them. Hydrolyte solutions are appropriate for all ages, and each bottle or package includes easy-to-follow dosing instructions. Order Hydrolyte today, hydrolyte.com slash drdrew. That is hydrolyte.com slash drdrew. And for a limited time, our listeners can save 30% on Hydrolyte. We actually buy in bulk in our family, so we're going to click through. Believe me, just click the banner on my site and use the code DrDrew18. That is D-R-D-R-E-W-18. Thanks for listening to Swole Patrol with Mike Catherwood and with myself, Dr. Drew Pinsky. You can follow us at Swole Patrol Pod, S-W-O-L-E Patrol Pod, on Twitter and at Swole Patrol Podcast on Facebook. Subscribe to the show on iTunes or wherever you get your favorite podcast. And do not forget to head over to drdrew.com to find all the Playroom Pod shows. While you're there, please click through the links to support our sponsors. Supporting them helps us do these shows. So thanks again. <laughs>